Welcome back to the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast, where I discuss all things pop culture, including TV, movies, music, sports, video games, and all things pop culture. On this week's episode of the podcast, CBS has announced the premiere dates for the winter premieres of The Amazing Race, Celebrity Big Brother, and the new season of Survivor. I'm going to talk about that, including this week's episode of Survivor, and some NBA talk. I'm going to go over my Bulls, what they're doing so far with this season, and just go over the NBA standings overall and just kind of talk about that as I go over the standings on this Thursday afternoon. And for this week in pop culture, going back 30 years to 1991 to see what was popular on this week in 1991. So let's get into this week's podcast. All right, let's get into the week of Survivor. But first up, we have the announcements from CBS on the premieres of what things are going to look like in the winter as far as Survivor Celebrity Big Brother and The Amazing Race as they have announced return dates for all of these. January 12th is going to be the return date for the new season of The Amazing Race. Didn't know when that was going to be. I heard that they were back into production with it, but didn't know anything else. So it's good to know that we've got a date here. Curious to see what this season looks like. Celebrity Big Brother, the new season of it, is going to premiere on February the 2nd. And Survivor will be back on March 9th with its new season with a two-hour premiere. So those are your dates for the winter for all the CBS reality shows. The ones I watch, anyway. It's not all of them. The only ones I watch. There's others, but, you know, those, those are my big three. So let's get into this week's episode of Survivor. We pretty well started off here with the reward challenge, opening up the episode. And we start with... Seeing Jeff Probst talking to us at home, talking about that there will be one person sitting out this challenge, but it could end up being a positive as he hides an advantage underneath the bench where this person will be sitting. I like this. I like Jeff talking to us and giving us like the behind the scenes of this and kind of cluing us in on what's going on. I like that. I, I have enjoyed most of this, you know, with him doing this kind of thing. And uh, yeah. Just, just cool, especially with watching this play out where it's like we knew this was over here. So it's kind of like we were in on it. And that's what they're going for with the edit, where it feels like the audience is in on what's going on. You can tell that's what they're going for. And they've even said that. Jeff's even said that with uh, how he introduced this season. So they draw everybody involved in the challenge here. They draw out of a bag to determine teams and also who will be the one to sit out, meaning you will have no chance at reward, which was a grilled cheese and chips meal. So whoever drew out the different colored the marble ball or whatever it was, whichever one it was, meant that you had to sit out. And of course, Erica, once again, is the one that is the odd one out, because again, remember this happened where she was sent off and exiled before. And, of course, that ended up flipping the game when she did the hourglass breaking and turned back time. So Xander speaks up here, and he says that he would like to trade with her since she has not gotten to eat after you know her last trip to exile and everything. So she's like, okay, yeah, sure, thanks, you know. And, and Jeff's like, yep, go for it, that's fine. You know, so Xander sits out. 
He heads over to the bench as all of us watch him intently on whether he will see the idol. Does he? He does not. But you can see that he does appear to be searching and feeling underneath, trying to figure out if there might be something under there. And he just didn't land in the right spot of the bench. And it was hidden in kind of an awkward spot. But And then also you're right there like in front of everybody. So, I mean, you can't really just get off of the bench and just start looking underneath. Because <laughs> it wasn't like hidden away like some of these other challenges are at times when this kind of a thing comes up so he couldn't really hide and get himself away from that so what ends up happening is uh the puzzle part of the challenge is just over very quickly as evie just dominates it quickly saying that she had studied like the challenges before she came out there and that this was one of them that she had seen so she knew how to put this thing together right away and it was over it was very very impressive so after the challenge and after everyone is left jeff roamed over to the bench to see if the advantage was found and it was not but i did like how they did this and showed that even if we see something in the edit it doesn't mean it will happen so when they brought this up and showed it i assumed that it would be found so but it was not and i like that you know where it's just like we knew it was there but it didn't happen. So, and you know, Xander was watching this at home going, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that that was sitting right there and I missed it. You know, he was just kicking himself last night over that, watching that at home. Back at camp, the winners have their meal while the rest are miserable and several are in tears about how they're hungry. And so the non-grilled cheese crew are fixing papaya and afterwards, Ricard comes up, who had just had the grilled cheese. He wanted to taste the papaya to see what it tasted like, and he took a piece of it and ate it. This flew all over Shan, saying, you just had the reward meal, and now you're going to take from people on the bottom? Uh, but this is also Shan who took someone's vote away and then voted them out earlier in the game. So, I mean, eh. <laughs> you know... So Ricard roams over to sit with Evie and the others, and he says, yeah, I think I got in trouble for eating the papaya, <laughs> which he did. Uh, we also learned from Ricard on Twitter that he found out that he was allergic to papaya after he ate it. That was one thing we found out on Twitter last night, so that's not good. That was not good at all. Uh, so the immunity challenge time comes up, and it comes with a twist. Now, again, remember that we have some very hungry people here, and they're wanting food. So Jeff shows up, and he's got the twist here. He's going to do some negotiating. Jeff offers up a single portion of rice if one player decides to sit out the challenge. Now, if several decide to sit out the challenge, he will give them a bigger thing of rice that would last three days. So they ask, how much is several? Jeff says, you tell me. They say, two? Jeff goes, no. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. I was like, yeah, several is not two. Uh, that's a couple. So the deal making, so basically Jeff's like, make me a deal. Like, let's, let's talk about it. Let's bargain. Let's, let's figure this out. Let's negotiate it. So the deal making goes from there and they agree on five, but they can't get five people to want to step out of this challenge because 
it's hard to find five people that are going to feel so safe that they're going to give up immunity to sit out an immunity challenge. So Shannon and Nasir, they step forward. They want their food. They they say, We're, we'll step out of this. Ricard ends up moving two. That gives them three. So no one else wants to go. And Shan is definitely leading the charge here of food. Yes, we definitely want food. So Xander speaks up and he says, okay, if I go for food, can we move the negotiation down to four? Jeff says, sure. Yep, we can do that. So Xander, Shan, Ricard, and Nasir all go for the food. The immunity challenge itself goes very short. Four minutes is how long it lasted, whereas the other one, the previous time, went over an hour. People were just falling out of it quickly, and Evie and Heather battled it out to the end with Evie outlasting her and winning immunity. I should also point out that this episode is the most by far that we have seen of Heather so far, which made me wonder if we were setting up for her to be voted out, you know, because it's like we haven't seen Heather at all. That's actually been a joke a lot on Twitter is like, who is who is this woman? You know, like did she just show up and we we don't even know who she is and cuz it's like the editors they've just given nothing of her. It's been very very strange. I don't know why they just haven't chose to really put much of an edit in there. The only thing we've really had was the other challenge, you know, to where she really struggled in that I think it was a reward challenge if I remember right. And she really struggled at the end and they you know, showed that with like her team really encouraging her and saying, you know, it's okay, it's all right, you know, and that's really very little that we've seen of Heather, like confessional stuff with interviews, nada, nothing. <laughs> it's It's been very strange just how little of, I mean, we're really deep into the season and they've barely shown Heather at all on here. It was very strange, but she almost won immunity here. So back at camp, the talk talks. T- the talk turns to who to vote out, and they were trying to decide who to split votes on and trying to flush some of these idols out. Now again, Xander has one, Nasir has one. Shan wanted to flush Xander's idol and put some votes on him and try to get him to use his idol and flush that thing out. Deshaun wanted to put votes on Nasir instead and flush his idol. Shan didn't want to do that and shut that idea down very quickly. Deshaun was very annoyed with this, saying that Shan didn't even want his opinion, didn't even seem to consider another opinion on this. And Shan tried to talk to him on it and kind of calm him down on that. But Shan is very much like my way or the highway in this game. And this, the edit on this episode really nailed that down on like how she was being presented here. So Shan tells Nasir that his name had been thrown out as like a fake target to try to get try to get uh, the attention off of the real target. Now Nasir countered to throw Heather's name out there, which obviously didn't make Heather happy when Shan tells her. So we get to Tribal Council, All things seem normal, waiting for the vote. As we go to vote, Heather stops it, and she's like wanting to do something. She's like, can I do something? And she basically leans over and whispers, just like, just stay calm. I'm going to go stir stuff, basically. And which I thought was really crazy. So she starts roaming 
and she gets another live tribal going. And here they go. Everybody's roaming all over the place and talking. And it just felt so pointless. Like, like she was just doing it just to do it. And I just kept thinking, you're going to get yourself voted out with all this and all the talk. And the talk even went that way with Shan saying to her group at one point that she was huddled around with, she's like, why don't we just vote out Heather? And I'm, that was what I was saying. I was like, just vote her out. You know, because it's like, this is ridiculous. Like, if I was up there, I'd just say, forget it. Let's just vote Heather out. Like, we all had this all completely under control here. Unless there's something in the edit that we didn't see. So, this actually starts another blow-up with Shan and Deshaun. Where, again, Deshaun feels like Shan is just telling people what to do and not hearing others' opinions, including himself. And I can't argue that. She really does come off like it's my way or the highway. So, meanwhile, Ricard is leaning over and talking to Xander over and over throughout this, saying, you really need to play your idol. I, I think you ought to play your idol. Man, I, th I think you, you play your idol. You need to play your idol. When someone is telling you that much to play your idol, you probably don't need to play your idol, and they're trying to flush it. <laughs> That's kind of Survivor 101 a little bit there. So, of course, Xander does not play his idol, and the votes are spread out, with Tiffany get the, getting the most votes, and she's voted out of the game. So that sends Tiffany home from this season of Survivor, and next week, you can tell there's going to be more drama around Shan. And here's the thing with Shan. She is, there's a lot of history in this game of when you've got people that are trying to dominate on what they want to get done. And where they're, when they're not listening to people, where they're, it's their way or the highway, and you're getting on the nerves of your allies because you're constantly doing what you want done and you're not listening to what other people want done and you're making your own moves. That's all well and good. But there's a lot of times in Survivor history to where people get sick of you and when you're pushing your agenda and then you step away from the group for a moment, the group huddles together and they're all stressed out trying to figure out what to do and then they go... Man, she's really she's really pushing this awful hard and why don't we just vote her out? Why don't we just give rid of her? We've seen that happen so many times in Survivor history to where there's just somebody that's so demanding on the group and wanting their way and not caring what anybody else wants to do and then when that group huddles together without that person that's when they huddle together and say, you know what, we could just fix this all right now and vote them out. <laughs> and I'm really, I really would not be surprised if this ends up being Shan's fate in this game because she pushes so hard. She's a good player, but she just pushes so hard a lot of times on her agenda that, you know, it's, it's just a dangerous way to play. And it will make you lose your allies very quickly. And I could totally see this being the downfall for her in this game to where her group just finally gets tired of her and says, okay, well, you know what? Let's just vote her out and then we'll run this thing from here and we'll figure it out instead of having to listen to one person. So I don't know. I totally, I want to see how things play out next week, but I think Shan's in trouble. And... 
she's got to chill out because uh, it's it's not good. It's not been a good look for her with uh, just how like demanding she's been on wanting things done her way. So I don't know. We'll see. Can Shan survive next week? I don't know. We'll find out. This week in the NBA, there's been a lot of great games going on this week, a lot of overtime games, and the standings have been very surprising with a lot of the teams that have moved up into the standings and some that have slid down. It's very interesting to follow. Of course, the Bulls, I am very happy with how the Bulls are playing early on. Uh, they are 8-3 and three currently. They've, I'm just real thrilled with this team. They're so fun to watch. This is such a fun team to watch. And the way they play as a team and their defense and they just dive on the floor and just been very, very fun to watch. Of course, the Bulls last night knocked off Dallas in Chicago. They are in a rough stretch of their schedule to where the first few games were you know, against a lot of like lesser teams, but here in this November stretch, this is a really tough schedule for them, and they're going to be playing a lot of tough teams. They've already been playing a lot of tough teams, and now they're getting ready to go out west to where we're definitely going to see what this team is made of, you know, just right away. And I'm just very impressed with what they are doing with a lot of the top teams in the league here to where, especially when it's a team that is very much a rebuild, there's a very big rebuild going on here, you know, with DeRozan and Caruso and a lot of these younger players to where they haven't really had a lot of time to play with one another. So the fact that they're doing what they are doing is very impressive to me. And the only thing with the Bulls that is that has been a negative so far is that they tend to start slow in some of these games. They Or they'll jump out. I've seen them do this. They'll jump out. I've watched every game so far, actually. I've watched all 11 games of the Bulls so far. What they'll do sometimes when they get going, they'll start really hot and they'll jump out by 10, and then the other team will come back, and then they'll pull away. And then sometimes you'll see the Bulls get down by 20 points, and they'll have to make a comeback. They've been down you know, 20 to Philly, been down 20 to Boston. I'm using 20 loosely, <laughs> around 20, somewhere around in there. And, of course, they made the comeback on Boston. They came back on Philly, but come up short in Philly. So that's been one thing, and they realize it too. I've heard them say this in in the media and everything, that we've got to get off to better starts. And ever since they've said that, the last two games they have gotten off to better starts, and it's shown. So that's something that they've already addressed. Vucevic has been struggling a bit. It's it's almost looks like it's a confidence thing with him. And because there's times where it's like he's just been kind of in a shooting slump. He's been definitely in a slump from three-point range. He's definitely been in a slump there. 
but you could definitely see like his confidence kind of like you can read it on his face to where he gets frustrated when he's like he misses like easy shots inside or something and I can see like last night when uh, they played Dallas I thought that was a really good game for his confidence to where he was hitting a lot of shots and he's hit a lot of like big shots in a lot of these crucial games over the beginning of the season where he'll hit a big three or something where it's like his percentage isn't the greatest, obviously, but he's hitting these big shots when it comes down to like the end. He hit a big three like late in one game where they come back and won. So it's something that's just going to hopefully work itself out with him and hopefully he can just build that confidence and you know, last night he had his back to the basket, making a lot of moves inside and just looked good doing so. So, yeah, the Bulls with a big win over Dallas last night. Big, big, a lot of highlights. I mean, they're fun to watch. They get out and run. This team runs. And one thing that we suffered through with the Jim Boylan era, it just seemed like that team didn't even know how to run. They didn't seem to know how to do anything. And it was frustrating so and what was funny is Alex Caruso had a really good line last night in the post-game media where Tim Hardaway Jr. had made a comment I guess in his post-game to where he said yeah the Bulls are back you know they're they're good they're back and they said something to Caruso about it and Caruso said uh he said well I said I don't know it's a team that won like two three-peats in a row he said I don't know if you could ever really say that they're back because like were they ever gone you know a team that's able to do that and uh the Bulls talk uh Twitter account at NBC Sports Chicago they'd be laugh where they said yeah Caruso has no idea what we've been through <laughs> I thought that was funny I was like yeah I think because when I saw that, I said, yeah, I think the Jim Boylan era like aged us like 10 or 20 years with the misery that we went through with that. So it's just so fun to see this team getting out and running. And you know, Alley Oops, I love Javante Green. I love him. Jones, he's awesome. He just, like anything that goes up near the rim, he just dunks it. Alley Oops, put back dunks, just whatever. And Caruso... What a pickup by Caruso, or of Caruso, by management there. And he told the story, was I can't remember what podcast it was on, but they were, it floated around uh, in a sports talk yesterday to where, of course, he was with the Lakers, and he wanted to stay with the Lakers, and he was getting offers, and he got this offer from the Bulls, and he basically, I want to make sure I get this right, but I don't know if I'm going to get the numbers right. But anyway, he basically went back to the Lakers and was just like, hey, just match this and I'll stay here. And I think he, I think they even said that he might have even floated that he would have taken a little less and the Lakers wouldn't do it. They wouldn't match it because they wanted to put money in on somebody else. So Caruso went to Chicago and it's just like, Thank you, Lakers. <laughs> Thank you for not matching that because Caruso has been an incredible addition for this Bulls team. I love Alex Caruso. I love his energy, just everything. He's just such a spark off the bench. And 
he's just been amazing. He just gets so many steals and assists and just an amazing player that he has been for this edition. DeRozan has just, there's so many people that just kind of wrote off DeRozan, I think, in San Antonio because he just wasn't the DeRozan from Toronto. And I think a lot of like the media kind of wrote him off. And he came into Chicago and it's like, what a value deal that's looking like now. Because he's just, him and Levine, like that duo, you know, they're putting up like 20 points a game. I forgot what it was. I don't know if they actually kept the stat going last night, but there was, like they were tied with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen for Bulls duo scoring 20 points each in every game for like so many games. I forgot what the what the streak was up to, but they had tied them. And I don't know if it kept going last night or not, but that tells you there just how strong that duo is. But yeah, this is this is awesome. Of course, the Bulls are going to go to Golden State next. They're going to head out to San Francisco to play the Warriors, and the Warriors are playing some good basketball. So that's going to be a big test. I want to see how they handle going in to play the Warriors and Steph Curry, who's just playing ridiculous basketball right now. And the only loss, of course, Golden State right now is 10-1, and one. The only loss that they have is to the Memphis Grizzlies, who came in there and beat them early on. It might have been, I think it was like one of the first two games, at least one of the first three games, because I watched it, went into overtime, and it's just a great game. It's one of the best games of the season so far. So we're going to find out, you know, what this Bulls team does, but they're so fun, so athletic. Like last night... Got the fast break, Caruso diving on the floor, they throw it ahead, Levine with the 360 dunk, and then of course he got teed up right after it because he was mad at the official over a no call right before that, and he got teed up, (laughs) so he got the dunk, yelled at the referee, went toward the bench for the timeout, yelled at the other referee, and uh, yeah, he got teed up, but... (laughs) Yeah, this Bulls team, they're fun. So let's go through the standings right now and just kind of do a little discussion on some of these teams. Let's start out west with, let's just hit the top 10 here. Portland has started 5-7. and seven. Not good. It's It's not good. I don't know what's going on there in Portland, and Damian Lillard has really struggled. He is definitely not himself, and he has actually been talking in the media about that new rule on the contact. Of course, we've had James Harden has been complaining about it, that uh, that it's really messed him up, but Lillard has also brought that up, but I guess I just haven't seen that because I don't I don't see that as much from Lillard. I just now with James Harden, he's trying to draw a foul on every single thing. I think he could like bump the bench and he'd try to draw a foul on it or something, you know, just anything. But I don't really see that out of Lillard a whole lot to where he's trying to draw contact. I just see him just always hitting just straight up jumpers. So I don't know. It's it's frustrating because he's such a great player and. You know, I want to see that Portland team succeed. I just don't know if 
And Charles Barkley was talking about this the other night where he was talking about three teams that needed to make moves. And he mentioned Boston, Philly, and Portland. He said all three of those teams need to make moves because whatever they're doing right now isn't working and they're not going to get anywhere. So he's just basically like, do something because it can't get any worse and you just, and you try something. And maybe that's what Portland needs. I don't know because it's, it just seems like they're not going to get any further. I don't know. And now they're actually worse. So, because they're off to a not good start here at five and seven. And they're 0 and 6 on the road and 5 and 1 at home. So that tells you they're, they are, they are <laughs> leaning on those home games, you know. So I don't know. We'll have to see how that goes. But Lillard is just not Lillard. And I don't know if it's, like he said with the with the officiating or if it's that he's just off because even his shooting is off I don't know I don't know if it's maybe some of his frustration I don't know I don't know we're just it's something to keep an eye keep an eye out on because I love Damian Lillard I think he is he is one of my very favorite players in the NBA to watch I just think he is such a fun player to watch Number nine, Sacramento Kings. They are tied with Portland here as far as the record, five and seven. I mean, the Kings, they've got a good young nucleus of players there. It's just, I don't know, every year you kind of feel like Sacramento's going to move, and then they don't move. So I don't I don't know. I don't know if they're going to have to make a move like with players or some trades or what they need to do or if if they finally just get going. I don't know. I don't know what it is that kind of keeps Sacramento from elevating. Memphis Grizzlies, they're six and five. John Morant's just playing crazy basketball. Crazy basketball. Just so fun to watch. Just a just a highlight reel. He is such a highlight reel. Number seven, the Los Angeles Lakers. They're here at seven and five. I I don't know about the Lakers. I just I don't. Now, of course, LeBron's out for several games, and Russell Westbrook, you know, he, there's been a lot of criticism on him. I don't, there's, like, last night, I watched him where they were uh, playing down the stretch against Miami, and, you know, they had 18 seconds left to wrap up the game. They were tied. It was, you know, hold the shot, either go to overtime or try to win it here. And he dribbled and kind of went around, and he had the whole floor open. They had isolated them all the way over on that end of the floor where he could have just went to the basket, and instead he settled for like a three-point shot. And I just thought, eh, it seemed like he could have gotten something better than that. But I don't know. Westbrook's had some struggles here early on, and it's been well-documented in the media. And I've watched some of these games where I'm like, ooh, that was not a very good decision there. And so I don't, I don't know. It's going to, we're going to have to see if this Lakers experiment's going to work with this, this team that they've got together. It's definitely an older team. Carmelo Anthony's playing really great basketball. I mean, there's a lot of times where that guy there is the one that's winning them games when he starts getting hot and starts nailing threes. So, and that was one thing too the other night. I forgot what game it was that they were in. But the Lakers were trying to battle and win this game and Carmelo hit like 
two three-pointers right in a row or like two or three shots anyway right around in that area and had them right in it and then at the end of the game Westbrook pulled up and tried to tried to win the game or tie or whatever it was I don't remember but Carmelo was hot you know I'm thinking I'm gonna get that ball to Carmelo if I can and I'm gonna run through him so I don't know we'll see how this goes with the Lakers and now LeBron's down and I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know about the Lakers. We'll have to see. LA Clippers are up here in the sixth spot, six and four. They're down Kawhi. I've watched a few of their games. Uh, not a lot. I don't watch a whole lot of Clippers games. I don't know. I've watched several though. It just, I guess it depends who they're playing. A lot of times on the West Coast games, I'm flipping around trying to see see what some of these West Coast games are. Uh, Clippers are playing well, I guess. They're just in the mix. I don't really, I guess, have a lot of thoughts there. Uh, Dallas Mavericks here at number five, seven, and four. Again, saw them last night. Luka's awesome. And, of course, they lost to the Bulls last night. That's really the only... I haven't watched much of Dallas this year. I think I've maybe watched two of their games, so... I can't really talk much on them. Denver Nuggets seven and four. Uh, Phoenix Suns seven and three. I have watched several of Phoenix's games. They kind of started a little a little off at the beginning, but it seems like maybe they're starting to get rolling. DeAndre Ayton, uh, of course, he's out injured right now. Man, I don't know about Phoenix not giving that guy that contract that was that was a mistake I think because that that guy is really good and they've Phoenix has not been good in a lot of years and this is a really good young player man it's like I don't I don't know about them not giving him that contract that that just screamed trouble to me I don't know Number two, Utah Jazz, eight and three. I've watched a little of Utah. I like Donovan Mitchell a lot, so I tend to watch watch them. Of course, they played the Bulls. I watched them play the Bulls. Bulls got a win on them. So that was like a really big like playoff win. I think Utah was really like the first big playoff win that the Bulls got as far as against like a really big team. So that was a good momentum thing there to see what the Bulls had against, you know, Utah, who was just, you know, had a great record <laughs> last year. And of course, Golden State, 10 and 1, leading the Western Conference, leading the NBA in uh, the standings. Steph Curry put up 50 <laughs> the other night. Uh, Steph Curry's just Steph Curry. And the crazy thing is, they're doing this without Clay Thompson. So, I don't know what Golden State's going to be like when they get Klay Thompson back because they're already 10-1 and one, and Steph's just doing Steph things, you know. So that's a fun team to watch. Let's jump over to the East. 10th spot, Charlotte Hornets. I've watched them a little bit. LaMelo Ball playing very well. Miles Bridges has been playing great basketball for them as well. So Hornets are going to be interesting to see where they can kind of land in that Eastern Conference. Of course, they got into the play-in tournament part last year but then they lost so they're right there like on the edge of the standings but they've got a good like 
good young team there. Lamelo's playing very well, so we'll just have to see what happens. Toronto Raptors six and six. I don't know. I don't know about Toronto. You know, they're really in a rebuild here, so I don't know what they're gonna do from here. Milwaukee Bucks defending champions six and six as well. They've been kind of up and down. Uh, they are one and four at home. Amazingly, and they're five and two on the road. I saw where they won in New York last night. The well, actually, let's go ahead and talk about that because <laughs> they won in New York last night. And the Knicks, we're going to talk about the Knicks because the Knicks are in the seventh spot and they are seven and five. And so last night in the Garden, uh, Milwaukee was down. Our Milwaukee was up a lot, and the Knicks were just playing really badly. The starters were playing really badly. And Tibbs set the whole starting lineup for the whole fourth quarter. And the bench, Derrick Rose and all of them, they led this big comeback. And Tibbs just got so disgusted with the starters, with how they were playing, that he just didn't, he just didn't even put them back in the game. And just set the whole set them for I forgot how many minutes it was. I think it even went beyond the fourth quarter. I think he set them for maybe like did I see a report that said eighteen minutes or so? Like the last eighteen minutes of the game, he set the quarters or set the starters. I don't know. I think that's what I read. But anyway, they didn't play any of the fourth. He rode he rode that bench to that had gotten them back in the game and decided he was going to ride them the rest of the way. So. Yeah, I don't I don't know about the Knicks. They're they're a good team though. They played the Bulls on uh Joakim Noah night and that's that's a tough team and the Bulls had a tr- had trouble with them cuz the Knicks are a bigger lineup and the Bulls had trouble matching up with them with Randall and just too much size for the Bulls in that game. It just felt like, even though the Bulls almost come back and won that game. Number six, Cleveland Cavaliers sitting here at 7-5. This 7-5, this is probably the biggest surprise in the league right now. I would argue. I, I've always thought, I like the nucleus that uh, they have with Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. I like that duo. I've liked them for several years now. Uh, Garland is, you know, he can score, he can pass, he's good on assist. And then you have Colin Sexton, who's just scorer. (laughs) He just scores. And I really think that's a really good duo. Of course, uh, Colin Sexton is out injured right now, but... Yeah, Cleveland landing here in a sixth spot, seven and five. They've been off to a very surprising start here. Miami Heat, seven and four. Watched them lose to the Lakers last night. Tyler Hero almost had a chance to win that game. Goodness, it seemed like the Lakers were just giving the Heat all kinds of opportunities to like either win the game or or uh, tie the game last night. It was wild. And uh Tyler Hero He's coming off a stretch to where he was getting a lot of criticism last year because he played so great in the bubble. And then it seemed like last year he went the other direction, and I think a lot of people thought he was done. And that has not been the case because he played really good in the preseason, and a lot of people were waiting to see, well, how's he going to play in the regular season? 
He's playing the same. <laughs> He's playing really good. So we'll have to see if Tyler Hero can keep this pace up. Of course, Jimmy Butler, I think he hurt his ankle last night. I believe that's what it was. He didn't finish the game in L.A. So have to see how see if that injury is anything that's uh, bothersome to Jimmy Butler going forward. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Miami almost pulled that game off. Tyler Hero got a wide-open look. Like, they, the Lakers left him at the three-point line, and he just fumbled the ball a little bit when he caught it, but he still got it off and got a good release on it and almost hit the shot to tie the game or win it. I don't Maybe he was going to win it. I don't remember. I don't remember which it was anyway. Because he got multiple looks to where he was trying to either tie or win. So, yeah. So, 7-4 Miami Heat. Number four, Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about Philly. They're kind of, and of course, they're at 8-4. I don't know. I feel like Philly's going to have to make some moves. I don't know. Because, I mean, we've kind of see where they kind of plateau in the playoffs every year. Yeah, it just feels like Sixers will go as far as Embiid can take them, you know? I don't I don't know. Number 3 Brooklyn Nets. Bulls got a big win on the Brooklyn the other night. I was very happy about that. Very happy. That was a big team to get a win on. That made me very happy. Brooklyn Nets 8 and 4. I don't know. We'll just have to see what they keep doing. Eight and three, Chicago Bulls sitting at number two in the East. I've already spoke a ton on them. Now, okay, so I mentioned Cleveland being the surprise team. Yeah, I forgot. I knew there was another team. It's like, who's the other surprise team that I thought was bigger than Cleveland? Yeah, there is a there is another team that's a bigger surprise than Cleveland. And it's the Washington Wizards who are sitting at number one in the East at eight and three, tied with the Bulls for the best record in the Eastern Conference. Who had the Washington Wizards as your number one team in the East? Wow. Yeah, that's that was surprising. Um, I've watched a little of them. I watched them, I think it was a double overtime game they played with Boston. It was in Washington about a week ago. It's a very good game that uh, went right down to the wire. That's really the only, I think that's all I've seen of Washington this year that I can remember. But yeah, surprisingly, they are sitting there at eight and three. I even see like a lot of the Washington media that are just like, wow, well, didn't expect this, you know, and and it's been a while since Washington's been up high in these standings, you know. And last year they they made a run late in the year to get into the play-in, and then they got in as the eighth seed. I think they were the eighth seed in the in the playoffs, but uh, seemed like all their momentum was gone once they got into the playoffs or something. They just didn't play well in that first round. So yeah, Washington Wizards are sitting there at the number one spot in the East. It's like, who would have guessed that? So yeah, just a little rundown of the current standings in the NBA. It's been a very good season. I have really enjoyed it. And we'll just see how it goes here. As a Bulls fan, I am a very, very happy Bulls fan. It's just fun to be competitive. You know, it's that's all you want. You just want to be competitive at least. And they are, and they're fun to watch. It's just a very fun team to watch. 
and I'm very excited to see what they do from here. But this West Coast trip, this is going to be a test. I want to see what kind of record the Bulls come out of this West Coast trip with because that's really going to show what they're made of because they've got a lot of tough teams they're playing over here on this West Coast trip. So excited to see what they do. This week in pop culture, let's go back to our top 10 list and go back 30 years. We're going back to November 1991. So what was the top music on Billboard for the week of November 10th through the 16th of 1991? Number one, Cream, Prince and the New Power Generation. This was the eighth week on the chart for that song. Number two, Can't Stop This Thing We Started, Brian Adams. That was its 10th week on the chart. Three, When a Man Loves a Woman, Michael Bolton, sixth week on the chart. Number four, It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday, that was Boys to Men. That song was all over the place that year in 1991. It was its ninth week on the chart. Number five, Set Adrift on Memory, Bliss, PM Dawn. I loved PM Dawn songs in that era. They were so good. Ninth week on the chart. Number six, Set the Night to Music, Roberta Flack with Maxi Priest. That was its ninth week on the chart. Number seven was Naughty by Nature with OPP. That song was everywhere. Naughty by Nature was huge in 1991, 11th week on the chart. Number eight, Amy Grant, That's What Love Is For. That was its eighth week on the chart. Karen White come in at number nine with Romantic, 14th week on the chart. And number 10 was Guns N' Roses off of Use Your Illusion, Don't Cry, ninth week on the chart. Biggest airplay gainer for Billboard that week was All For Love by Color Me Bad. That definitely had a lot of gain on airplay in that era. It was going to get bigger too. That song was a big hit in 1991. And another song that was entering the chart here with a hot shot debut, Can't Let Go by Mariah Carey. Just another one of her huge hits that got her career off and going there at the beginning. So what about movies? What was big at the box office that week in 1991, 30 years ago? This is your box office for November 8th through the 14th of 1991. Curly Sue, number one, $6.3 million. That was three weeks of release for it. Number two, The People Under the Stairs, second week of release, drew in $5.5 million. Billy Bathgate, number three, $4.8 million, second week at the box office. Number four, All I Want for Christmas in its debut week, $4.8 million. Number five, Little Man Tate, $4 million, been five weeks out in release. Number six, Highlander 2, The Quickening, $3.8 million, second week of release. Number seven, Other People's Money, $3.4 million, four weeks of release. Number eight, Strictly Business, $3.1 million in its debut week. Number nine was House Party 2, $2.5 million, three weeks of release. And number 10, Frankie and Johnny, $2.2 million in its third week of release. So the highest rated shows for November 11th through the 17th of 1991. Now remember... Some of these numbers are going to be fluctuating here where you'll have some with a higher viewer total that are ranked higher or lower. you got to remember there's some shares in here, so that's why, the, why things will rank higher than others. 
Number one, 60 Minutes on CBS was the number one show for the week at 33.7 million people on Sunday. ABC Tuesday, number two, Roseanne, 36.1 million. Number three for the week was Full House with 35.7 million on ABC on Tuesday. This was also the big episode with the birth of the twins, Jesse and Rebecca's twins. So this was a big episode for ABC and Full House. Drew a big number that week for them. Number four, Murphy Brown on a Monday for CBS, 28.7 million. Five was Coach on ABC, 29.1 million for Tuesday that week. Number six was Cheers on Thursday on NBC, 27.8 million. Number seven, Murder, She Wrote on Sunday for CBS, 24.5 million. Number eight was a TV movie in A Child's Name, Part One for CBS on a Sunday night with 25.9 million. Number nine, Monday Night Football for ABC, Chicago Bears, and the Minnesota Vikings drew 24.7 million viewers. And number 10, Unsolved Mysteries. Remember that creepy theme song <laughs> that tortured you as a kid? Uh, NBC, 25.9 million on Wednesday night. A couple other notes for this week of ratings. Michael Jackson's Black or White music video premiered on Fox, and it gave Fox their highest rated special ever, doing a 15.6 rating. I actually remember watching that night. And yeah, Michael Jackson debuted his first single off the Dangerous album on Fox and debuted on network TV. And that's an impressive, look at how many people tuned in for that. 15.6 rating to tune in for the debut of a music video. That's really incredible. And the TV viewing of Back to the Future Part 3 aired on NBC on Sunday night and pulled in 253 million viewers that's really amazing it just tells you how different times are you know with uh because you just don't see movies pulling in that kind of viewership now even if they're new you don't see a lot of movies pulling in that kind of viewership so that's very impressive with what back to the future part three did on a sunday night in 1991 and it was only a year after release so that very well could have been its debut on on uh, network TV, I'm not sure on that, but with it drawing that kind of a number, I would not be surprised at all to learn that that was its first time airing on TV on NBC. So that is a look back at 30 years ago this week in 1991. That wraps up this week's Entertainment Goes Pop podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, God bless, and have a great week.